If you have your bulletin, you can take that out, and in the midst of it is an outline, and as you're pulling that out, I want to tell you a little uh, incident that happened to me a few months ago when I was having lunch with someone at Panda Express, and um, I ran into a rich person problem. And uh, have, if you have not been here for about the last month, we have been doing this series, Living uh, the Dream, and we've been talking about uh, how we are the rich people in this world's economy. We have been so blessed with so many riches here in America, and with it come rich people problems, like which cell phone we have to have, or which clothes we have to choose out of our closets because we have so many different choices, or which television channel of the 147 or 289 channels we have to choose from, or which ice cream flavor we are going to have tonight. Yes, those rich problems, right? Okay. I was having a rich problem at this uh, eatery, and if you've ever been to Panda Express, you know they kind of have a cafeteria set up where you kind of walk up and you choose your items that you order. Um, and, and I ha- was having this rich person problem because I noticed that the item that I was going to order was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Orange chicken. Any other fans of the orange chicken? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, so there's like two or three people in front of me, and they're making their way through, and I'm just praying that they're not ordering my orange chicken, right? And um, the supplies are dwindling, and finally I make it to the front, and so I quickly ordered my three items, emphasizing the orange chicken that I would like to have them do. And to my dismay, the person who was right behind the counter just didn't even look at me and just walked away. And there's three or four other workers who are kind of going around there, and they're doing their thing, and they're kind of buzzing around. Um, And they are, uh, in the midst of this, pillaging um, my orange chicken that I know is mine and needs to come to me. And so um, to make matters worse, what happens is an off-duty employee steps up, and she begins to load her plate up with my food. Right? And so, so I can tell she's off duty because she has her purse on and, and she had her name tag, used to have it, but it was off. And so she was wearing the clothes, but she didn't have the, the hat on and other stuff. But she's here getting her lunch, kind of just stepped in because she's off duty. And so she's doing that. And to make matters even worse, yeah, she's having my orange chicken upon her plate and she takes the very last bit of it. And um, as I'm about to speak up with a rich person arrogance, to talk to the manager, or at least the FBI, or one of those two, whoever will listen to me. She takes the plate, looks up at me, smiles, and places it right in front of me and says, is there anything else I can get for you? I thought, not unless you have some humble pie back there for me to eat right now. She had heard it. She'd heard the order. She knew the gal walked off, and so she stepped right in, and she stepped up. But here I was. With my rich person problems, that wasn't my food. That food wasn't owed to me. But she blessed me, didn't she? Here you go. Which is what we've been talking about over this last month or so. This truth that during this series on living the dream, that we have been richly blessed by God. We are the ones living the dream. We are the rich. And so the question we need to ask then is, are we good rich people? Because it's not a question whether we are rich or not. We are the rich ones in the world. The question is, are we good at being rich? That's the question. Because here's the truth, and you have it on the top of your outline. I'll go over a few of these things. It's in the box. It's up here on the screen as well. 
But here's the interesting point. Having riches and being rich are two very, very different things. For the first cannot make the second, and the second is not dependent upon the first. So which are you? Do you just have riches, or are you rich? Last week, after I finished speaking on the topic that I did, there's a couple who left, and they caught me, and they said, you know what? We were just saying on the way to work that our paycheck is never enough. It's never enough. And then to hear you say that for people to live, it always feels like they need just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Folks, that, will, that mentality will destroy us if we let it. And that's why Paul steps in here and he says, okay, Timothy, you got some people there in that church who need to hear because they have been blessed materialistically, and let's see where that's going to take them. And so for the last time, let's read through. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's read the set of verses that have really been our theme verses, and I'm going to more camp out on verse 19 because we haven't talked about that one specifically, but let us catch up. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. It says, as for the rich in this present age, and I am standing before them now, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their eyes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. They are to be the ones who are to set aside the time that we talked about last week and kind of does the dollar cost living. They're the ones to reach out and to serve. They're the ones that when the resources become asked for to be available to give. And now what Paul is talking about and what he's about to say here in verse 19 built upon something that Jesus has already taught. And he knew that Timothy knew this and was familiar with this. And so this is kind of a given. But here's what Paul is uh, reminding Timothy to remind the rich people of what Jesus taught. And it's in verse 19. And it starts with thus. And the thus reflects back to those who are rich and are being rich in good deeds and are very generous... He says, thus, and the NIV says, in this way, when you do this, you store up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future, so that those who do that may take hold of that which is truly life. He's saying that's when you take hold of life. When you do those things and the rewards then are able to come, which sounds kind of funny because in the system of addition and subtraction, this just doesn't compute that the less we have, the more we have. But that's exactly what Paul's saying here, that the more you give, the more you will be blessed. Paul's saying you'll, you'll have more, but you'll have it in a place where life is truly life, what we are to be looking towards. In fact, here's another saying you have in your box in your outline. He is saying that there is a direct relationship between what you do with your extra and eternity. Let me say that again. There is a direct relationship with what you do with with what you do with your extra and eternity. 
Now, before you think I'm preaching heresy here in the Baptist church, as we can pay this, we can pay to get to heaven, and no, 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 not at all what I am saying. So watch the next line. In fact, I put these two points very close together, and I wrote them down for you as well. You can fill this in. It's not where you will spend eternity, but it's what it will be like when you get there. Let me say that again. Not where you will spend eternity, but what it will be like when you get to eternity. In other words, the people that could be there because you have impacted them with your generosity. The people that we go serve on mission trips, the people that we witness to here in the community, the people in downtown Stockton, the people in north, south, east, west Stockton, the finances and generosity which you have given causes them to be in heaven. The people who you sponsored with your Compassion International through His Little Feet groups, all 72 of you who have done that, and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you who have done that before and are continuing to be generous to those children, some of them may be in heaven because of what you've done with your extra. Extra. That makes a difference in eternity. Also, the rewards that you will reap in eternity. And if you're not comfortable with that, I'm sorry, but it's a biblical uh, principle that you can read through, and I don't have time to go into this all right now, but yes, God rewards those and sends those rewards up on ahead, and you will enjoy those in the heavenly realms. Say, but you know what? Sometimes it can be so hard because of this culture that we live in. You're right, it can be. And that's why we're talking about this, because let me give you the next fill-in in that box. When you view your wealth through the lens of eternity, then you will lessen your grip on your wealth, and your wealth will lessen its grip on you. Uh Uh-oh, now he's starting to preach. Okay, let me say that again. This, this, This is good. Don't miss this one. When you view your wealth through the lens of eternity, then you will lessen your grip on your wealth, and your wealth will lessen its grip on you. If you're having a hard time with this, if you're saying, man, I just owe so much and I, I, I like my stuff and it's hard to give it away and it's hard to become a generous person, I say start looking to eternity. What, what's going on ahead? What, what are you planning for? What are the rewards that are up there? Start viewing it through the lens of eternity. And this principle will transform your life way more than some sort of guilt or an awareness of need will ever do. See, guilt and awareness of need are very short-term motivators. I've been preaching and speaking as a pastor enough to know that you all have money in your pocket right now that I could probably get out and get it into the offering plate. You could throw a 10 in there. You could throw a 5 in there. Maybe even you could throw a a, a 20, maybe even a 100. I could tell you a story, kind of make you feel good. I could cry a few tears. Some politicians know how to do that as well, right? And, 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 And you would probably put a little bit in the offering plate. There you go. That's not what we're after. Please hear me on that. I never want that kind of a guilt offering. We don't do guilt offerings around here. We want to expose you to what God's Word says and to teach you what His Word says so that you will not just be giving by some sort of little short-term motivator, but that you will be giving out of a heart change. 
that you will be giving out of a life that knows how rich you are blessed, that knows you are living the dream. And we want to cause that dream to be shared with other people across this world as well. Not riches just in finances, but riches in the spiritual blessings that we have been given from the Lord. And if you want to become truly generous, truly generous, it happens when you see that connection between what you manage here on earth and the afterlife. That's when true heart change happens. When you realize what you have is not yours anyway. In fact, what you own is just on loan. That's all it is. And whether it be your home, whether it be your car, whether it be your children, whether it be your grandchildren, whether it be your finances, the ability to produce finances, whatever it is, your talents that you have, those are all on loan. And when you understand that, that's when you loosen your grip on your wealth and your stuff. And that's also when your wealth and your stuff will begin to loosen its grip on you. See, because some of you here have a, have a pretty tight grip, and you know it. Others of you might be like, wow, okay, I, I, am I a generous person? Well, you know, uh, I'm not sure. Well, let me teach you a principle. It's a very interesting principle that I learned early on in my formative years, um, because you've got to know this. The credit card companies are, are very wise, and they market, they market, they in the past few decades, they have gone from getting on college campuses to now getting onto high school campuses and marketing towards high schoolers. Because here's what they know. They know that in this world, there are people who pay interests and there are people who make interests. Which one are you? Are you going through life paying a lot of interest? Or are you coming to that place of saying, no, I don't want to be at the, at the, at the throat, the, the clenched throat, the, 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 the choking of what interest can do and owning more and more and paying more and more and having to pay interest on what I have. I would rather be one who pays minimal interest, put the rest in the bank and allow that to pay me interest. Invest that in my retirement account. Invest it in spiritually to invest it in places like this and things that God is doing. There are people in this world who pay interest and there are people who make interest. Which one are you? My wife and I decided very early on we wanted to be on that side of making interest. And so we made a commitment. We're not going to buy a car unless we can pay cash for that car. We don't want car loan payments. We made a commitment. We said anything we put on our credit card, we are going to pay off on a regular monthly basis. No questions asked because you would shudder to see what you're paying on your credit card interests. And we decided that we're going to try and get the lowest amount of a home loan that we could. And over the past uh, 20-something year, almost 20 years that we've owned the home, we've refinanced a couple of times, not because we needed more money in our pockets, but because the interest rates went down lower and lower. And if you have not done that, you need to look at that. Don't be paying other people interest. Be the one who says, God, I'm going to be wise with my finances. I'll be the one who gets the interest. I'll be the one who gets the payment. Don't let your stuff own you. You need to own your stuff. That is a biblical principle, and let me show you where that comes from. Again, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn over to the book of Luke. I read this uh, scripture passage at the beginning of our series, but I, I really more just touched on it, and I want to go a little bit deeper into it today. Because God has some things for rich people who are not good at being rich. He has some lessons for us to learn. And so Luke chapter 12, 
Let me start with verse 16. Jesus is telling this story to a crowd of people. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And just like, you know, today it seems like we have this saying, the rich get richer. First century, there it was. The rich are getting richer. He's got some land and it's producing plentifully. Verse 17, the man thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops, which that's the epitome of a rich person problem, right? Right? What should I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Have you seen, I had a gentleman talking to me after the 8 o'clock service, have you seen all the storage places that we have here in Stockton? And how that has multiple, that business has gotten huge and huge. I didn't even think about that until he mentioned that to me today. Why do we have all those storage places? Because we got stuff. We got stuff and stuff and stuff, and maybe for some of us, the stuff's got us. So Jesus says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So verse 18, he says, here's what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and all my goods, which is a great solution if this is all that there is to life. If there's no afterlife, the guy's got it made. Great solution. Step in there, build bigger bonds, enjoy your stuff. And that's the solution he goes to. He doesn't think about the afterlife. Verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's saying, I am golden, I am good to go. I have enough to last me throughout my life. I can sit on the beach and order those drinks that they put the little umbrellas in, and I can just sip on those. I am good to go. Verse 20. But God. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, here it comes. But God. But God, oh man, why do you have to bring the God card into this? I'm sure the people are saying, I'm sure the man was saying that too. Why do you have to bring this in? Have you noticed that with farmers, um, there are are basically no atheist farmers today. You know why? Because they know, they understand if they're an intelligent farmer, they are tuned into the things that they have no control over. They have no control over the weather. They have no control over the insects that may eat their crops. They have no control over the soil. They have no control over the rain. You shouldn't be an atheist farmer. And the further away we have come out of an agrarian type of society, the more we kind of play God. And here comes the God bomb into this. Jesus brings it in. Again, verse 20 says, But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now notice, he does not call him a fool for being rich. Please understand that. That's the way God made him. That's the, um, uh, the product and the produce that God allowed to spring up from his land, from what he planted and prepared. God has blessed him with this. So he's not calling him a fool for being rich. He's calling him a fool because he does not know how to be rich. He's not being a good rich person. He's basing his life's decisions on this life only. 
So hear that, please. If you are basing your decisions upon this life only, that's where God steps in, the but God, and says, fool, it's not just about this life and this life only. He says, your life will be demanded from you, which, again, is something that you have no control over, right? I mean, we have no control over the weather, the bugs, the insects, the rain, how long we live. No control over all that. He says, then what will you get, or who will get what you have prepared, the things that you have prepared? Answer, someone else. Which is the same answer for us. Who's going to get all the things that we have been hoarding and holding on to and calling our own? Who's going to get them all? Answer, someone else. And not because you're generous, but because you're dead. There's a a reality check for you, right? That's, that's, someone else gets it. And then Jesus brings in the zinger here. This is to kind of wrap this all up. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And I'll even add himself only. And is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. Are you rich toward God? See, you run the risk of total loss if you forget to run your riches through the lens of eternity. You run the risk of total loss if you forget to run your riches through the lens of eternity. In fact, I don't know a lot about farming. I have some relatives who are farmers, but here's one thing I know. I've been out on the farm a number of times. We had cousins who were farmers in the Kingsburg area. Um, Money, here's my analogy. Money is a lot like fertilizer, okay? And you know what kind of fertilizer I'm talking about? The, the good, the rich, the cow manure kind of fertilizer kind of stuff. Money's a lot like fertilizer. You pile it up and it starts stinking. You spread it out and it helps things to grow. That'll preach here in the valley, won't it? That's what, that's what it's like. That's like fertilizer. You, you pile it up, it's going to be stinking, hoarding it. You spread it out, it'll help things to grow. And so Jesus says, man, who are you rich towards? And then he shares this part on, on do not be anxious, do not be worried. We, we covered that in our Worry War series. So let me go to the end of this because it feels like he's tying these two concepts and these two thoughts together. In verse 33, he's saying, okay, you want to know how to be rich towards God? You want to know how to think about godly things? Here it was what he says. Verse 33, he says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. How do I get rich towards God? eBay it. Craigslist it. Garage sale it. Give it. Don't let that stuff. See, crux this whole message here in this whole series Number one competitor for your heart, I said it last week, is what? Your money, your stuff. The more you have, the more it begins to crowd in and crowd God out. And so Jesus says, sell it, give it away, bless other people. Then verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying, I don't need your stuff. I need your heart. And the best way for me to get your heart is to get your stuff. When we have so much stuff and we hoard it, it uh, squeezes God out. You know, in a strange sort of way, maybe God would say, well, maybe I'm partly to blame for that because I've given you so much stuff. 
But I've entrusted it to you. I've blessed you with it. I've given it to you on loan. What are you going to do? Loosen your grip on your stuff. And then your stuff will loosen its grip on you. Because here, here's the stats. If you want to just kind of look at this um, in, a, in a systematic way, uh, if, if we had 100 people up here on the stage from the congregation, well, let's say we have maybe four or 500 here today. Um, if I just had 100 of you kind of be a representation of the world's economy and the world's standard of living, 80% of you would be in substandard housing. In fact, half of the world's population who are represented, 50 of people out of 100, would be malnourished. 70% couldn't read. Think about that. 70% of the people in here, now I know there are probably some in here who cannot read, but, but by and large, I would guess 95, 98% of us can read. 70% though, population around the world couldn't read. And one of you would be dying from malnourishment and it would probably be a child. In fact, 6%, here's the stat that's, that's really shocking. 6% of you would have half of the world's wealth and you would all live in the United States. 6% of you would have half of the world's wealth, and you would all be from the United States. And you have to ask the question, uh, what do you say to that father and mother of the boy who is malnourished and doesn't have a way to gain other money? What do you say to that person when we have so much living in a plush life, living the dream? What do we say to those other people? I mean, I mean, think about how Americans, typical Americans, spend their finances. Over a third of what we have goes to paying for our mortgages. And different people at different stages of life, some of you have paid off your home, some of you are just entering into that. And when I talk about paying interest, I'm really not talking a lot about house payments because, you know, that's an investment. That's a little different category than the, the day-to-day things that we buy on credit card and such. But uh, about a third goes to housing of what your budget would be on average. Then another 15% goes to food or we spend on our stomachs. 70% goes to the cars that we drive. About 22% goes to recreation and some personal needs, our own pleasures in life. And then this is the interesting one. Somewhere between 10, 12, maybe creeping up higher than that, goes into health care that we have. And so you say, when that's all stripped away, when that's all said and done, what do we have left to give to others? Those stats would tell me you have 2% to give away. 2% if you're the common average American spending the way most Americans do. And here's the stunner. If you're a Christian, you come to church, you have 2.7% that you give. We've outdone the world by 0.7%. Because most often we give like that out of what's left over talked about that last week, leftovers that we give. Whereas the biblical way of doing this, specifically in the Old Testament, is that challenge out of Malachi 3.10 that says, bring it to the storehouse, give it of the first fruits, give of the first, 
And see if I will not bless. See if I will not pour out my blessings upon you. And so it's taken off the top. And when we take it off the top, I don't know how this happens. It just does. It seems as though the 90% that we have left always fills that 100% because our hearts grow bigger instead of trying to hold on to stuff and growing smaller. I'm privileged to get to sit with about 20, 25, 30 men on Tuesday mornings. Um, and, and, And a lot of times I'm teaching lessons. We go over the Bible lesson that we have here. But they are teaching me so much lessons about life. And to hear them over time share about, you know what, you just can't outgive God. Here's how I've given God. Here's how I've stretched myself. Here's how I've grown in my giving. Here's how I don't want to stop at 10%. I want to go to 11. I want to go to 12. I want to go to 13. Just these men are talking about these blessings, these riches, over years and years of learning this. And that's why I wanted to share some of this with you because many of you are younger than these guys. And we need to know. These lessons, not only from Scripture, but from very practical things that people have done. In the Old Testament principle, there was the tithe. Bring it first and foremost into the house. And then the New Testament, we talked about this a little bit last week, is a spirit of generosity more than the legality of the law. But we also said that it's done in a spirit of generosity and grace. But grace always gives more than the law over and above. And so there's that spirit of, hey, don't just stop at what you have to do, but give because you have a giving God. Bless the Lord because he has blessed you. And for some of you, it really boils down to a trust factor. That's what it is. Do I trust God enough, not just with what's on the end of my finances, but what's on the, beginning, on the, on the, on the beginning or the starting point of my finances? Giving to God off the top does something, and I cannot tell you how this works. It is just a God thing where spiritually there's a mysterious way that God loosens our grip on our stuff, and that enables our stuff to loosen its grip on us, and we have more than we need, and God blesses in wonderful ways. In fact, last week I was talking with a gentleman. We're, he was saying, isn't it amazing how when we hold things back from God, those things seem to still get away from us? Like our air conditioning goes out, or our car repairs have to go, or we have to pay this or that or that or that. And it's like that money just goes. You never knew it. it was even there. It somehow goes somewhere. And I'm telling you, First Baptist, if you give off the top, that enables you to say, okay, here's what I have left, and let's do it. Let's do this right. God, what's rightfully yours. And it just seems as though you can hear this over and over and over and over again from someone who gives regularly. They'll say, you just can't outgive God. You just can't. God just makes it work. God doesn't play games in this. He is just faithful, faithful, faithfulness. And and many of you, if you've been here for years, you know that we've even shared if it helps to have kind of a money-back guarantee. Because if if you're not willing to do this, let's just kind of give you a little bit of a nudge of doing that. If you come and you say, okay, Pastor Brad, I'll try it. I'll I'll see if God takes care of my needs. If If you say that to me, and after three to six months, that does not happen God didn't take care of what, the, the needs that you have in your life, and you want that money back, we'd be happy. No questions asked. Just go ahead. It's yours. We, we just believe God's going to do that. And yet, probably most of you don't need to even take that money back guaranteed because then that's kind of pulling some of the trust out of it. But if that's what you need, we'll do it. We'll, we'll, you know why? Because it's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. Please hear me on this. I'm not trying to be a salesman up here, how to get the money out of your pocket. That is not it at all. 
I'm trying to say this is a godly principle that you just live differently when you give in a blessing way. When you give first to God, first to Him, and then allowing that stuff to be loosened from your life, and you just spend differently. You live differently. You live more joyously. In fact, um, flip over to the book of 2 Corinthians. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is challenging the church at Corinth to give to Christians in Jerusalem. There's a need. And when he's sharing with them, he's sharing some thoughts that I think need to come to us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, here's the point, guys. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully or generously will also reap bountifully or generously. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And so please hear me on this. We do not do guilt offerings here at First Baptist. Okay? I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. Please do not feel I'm trying to compel you to something. The point there is that give not reluctantly. Give not under compulsion because God loves a, what's the word there? Cheerful give. You know what the Greek word for that is? Hilarious. He loves a hilarious giver. He loves someone who's like, God, ha, ha, here it is. Take this. This is yours. Yes, joyfully, over and above, cheerfully, hilariously, I want to give to the Lord. This is yours. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times being taken care of, you may abound in every good work. I love how he ties this in. Remember, because he's talking about good works in Timothy. Now he's talking about good works here. You're blessed to be a blessing. I hope you will abound in that grace, even as you give and are prepared to give. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who supplies it? God supplies it, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest for your righteousness. It's all his anyway. He gives it to you on loan. You plant it. You grow it. He's the one who produced it. He gives you more back because of the seed that's there to continue to going and round and round it goes. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And that's the part I love about this, how he ends that little segment there. Because he's saying, it's not for your benefit. It's not for your pleasure. It's to give who the thanksgiving, it's to give who the praise. God, absolutely. That's where it ends up. Understand, when you give here to First Baptist, you are not giving to First Baptist. You are giving through First Baptist. And you are giving to God through the work that's done here at First Baptist. I mean, the early churches, we see this here, and Paul is even challenging them. The hallmark, one of the hallmarks of the early church was that they would give generously and at times doing for those who could not or would not even do back to them in return. They didn't care. They said, we want this work to go forward. We want this message to go out. Someone's got a need, we're going to give. And so that New Testament challenge is kind of given there to give in and through and to that church. But understand, it's not to the church, not to the local church. It is through the local church for God's work to go forth. And so when First Baptist, when we talk about successes we've had here, you are in on that. You're the ones who are doing those. That's not our staff. That's not our deacon. 
deacons. That's not our leadership. That is you who put anything in there can rejoice in that. That's you, and even God sees the heart. If you're not able to give at a certain time, but your spirit is there, you are in on that as well because you are a part of what we do here. We do it through the local church. And, and here, here's actually the challenge that I will give to you. Because I know some of you might be still a little, well, you know, he's just trying to bring money in here and he's trying to do that. That's not it at all. Remember what I said. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. In fact, I will say this in this very bold way and hear me on this with all the intentions that I'm meaning to say this in. That if you cannot give here to this local church, go find a local church that you can give to and give there. And I'm okay with that. If you can't do it here for some reason, you don't agree with the vision, you don't agree with the process that we have or the things that we do, then send your tithes, send your offering, whatever amount you choose to give in your heart, send it to another local church. They can be blessed with it. I I, I would think you're going to follow that because if, if if you're worshiping here, then that's usually the place that you give. But if you can't do it here, send it to another one and, and, and see how God continues to meet you and faithfully meet you, your needs. Again, it's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you to learn this and to understand this and to grow in this. That's where Paul comes, just to end our time. Let me, let me read the end of this verse again one more time. Paul says, when you do this, when you do the good works because of the ways you've been blessed, when you are generous and ready to share because of the way you've been blessed, you are storing up treasures for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of life that is truly, truly life. Paul wanted the rich to know they are blessed, but their true blessing was not just in material goods. And that is so true of us as well. Our true blessing is not in your job. It is not in your house. It is not in your car. It is not in your food. It is not in your standard of living. Your true, true blessing is what you have in the richness of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is your true blessing. And Paul's saying, I just want to make sure that opportunity gets to, gets to flourish and that other people get to see that as well. Because you, you are blessed to know a God who gives hope to the hopeless. You are blessed to know a God who loves the unlovable. You are blessed to know a God who comforts the uncomfortable, who comforts those who are sorrowful, who comforts those who need his comfort. And so much of that happens through what you do and how you give to make that go forth. And he has given us, Scripture says, every spiritual blessing, every bit of riches, because we have our relationship with his son, Jesus. Which brings us to the time of communion. It brings us to a time of saying, God, I see how rich I am. I see how blessed I am, and it's all because I have a spiritual blessing from you, from what your Son has done for me. And so if you've not been here before when we've taken communion, I I just want to kind of give you a little teaching on this, that this is not something that you do because you're a member here at First Baptist. This is not a First Baptist table. It's not a Baptist table. It's the Lord's table. And we come to it as a unification with Jesus and as a reminder of what he did for us, to always remember until he comes again the death he paid for us on the cross. So he gathered up his disciples on the night when Jesus was betrayed. He came and he said, this this bread, symbolic of my body that's broken for you, 
And he gave them a cup and he said, this juice, this wine, it's, it's, it's symbolic of my blood that I'm going to shed for you on the cross. He said, do this to remember me until I come again. You're rich, you're blessed, you're blessed. And so we are blessed to get to take this. Some of you here today, however, have not given your life to Christ. And if you have not come to that place yet, we say wait. This is something that is for family members. However, as we now go to a time of prayer and a blessing over this, we want to make sure you have an opportunity to also be welcomed into the family. And so why don't we pause, let's pray as we prepare our hearts, and as some of you, we introduce to Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity that we have to come together with brothers and sisters, to partake of these communion elements, your body, your blood shed for us on the cross. Lord, I know there are hundreds in here who this is such a rich experience, something that just shows over and over and over again what you have done for us and reminds us of your incredible goodness to us. And so, Lord, as we are preparing for this and as we prepare our hearts, we also want to pray for those who are making spiritual decisions right now. And if you are one here today, and you would say, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure that I'm in on this family. I'm not exactly sure if I should take this or not. Let me just help you take that step of faith. To know Jesus Christ means that you've given your heart to him. You've opened your heart for him to be your Lord and your Savior. Savior meaning to forgive you of your sins, to save you from the consequences of that. Lord, to be giving him everything. Not just your riches. Not just your time, your talents, but your entire life. And a faith step is done by stepping into his presence and saying, Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart for you to be the Lord over all of my life. It's to say, Jesus, I know you went to the cross for me to pay for my sins. And Jesus, today, I accept you in faith. I repent, I turn, I, I now live according to your ways. And I do that in faith. And if today, if that's your very first day that you've done that, in your heart, just say these words, just in your heart, Jesus, come in. Run my life. Would you be the master of it? Now, those can be some pretty tough words. Master, run my life. But that's exactly what we're asking you to do because that's what the gospel says to do. Give it over to him everything. So if you've prayed that prayer, two things I'd like you to do. We're not going to embarrass you in any sort of way here, but two things I'd like you to do after the service is over. Would you please come to one and talk to one of our pastors, myself, Pastor Scott, Pastor Mike, Pastor Stephen, whoever that may be, or the friend who brought you or out in our Next Step Center in the Welcome Center. If you will tell that attendant there, we have some information for you that we'd love for you to read, to look over, and we'd love to connect with you in helping you take your next step because now you know Jesus is Lord and Savior. The second step we'd like you to take is here comes the blessing of getting to take communion with us today. We serve you as well because you now are part of the family and you identify with our Lord. Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for us whether we're taking this for the first time or for the thousandth time, it never gets old. Jesus, thank you. We come with a spirit of contemplation. We come with a spirit of saying thank you for the way you've made for us to be in relationship with you. 
So as the plate is passed, you'll pull one cup up. You can separate the two. There's the bread. There's the juice. Hold on to it. And then as they come back together, we will do this together. Lord, thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. As we remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.